right. Good morning. Merry Christmas. How are you guys doing? Are you guys ready for the week? Week off? Week off of school, right? Hopefully for most of you. All right. Well, this morning, we're actually going to be pausing from our series in Nehemiah because it's Christmas and we got to we got to keep learning about Christmas and uh, diving in. It never gets old. It's a story that uh, honestly never gets old. And, and I think it's one that we've all mostly heard. Uh, but man, so I could come up here and retell you the story, which would be good. But there's something about reading it in the Bible, right? Reading it word for word and studying it. God's word's amazing where you could read the same thing year after year Yet if you read it with open eyes, which of course you have to read with open eyes, and open hearts to, to what God would speak, that there's so many different aspects of, of the story that God seems to point out. And so this morning, we're going to be in a message entitled, The Impossible Made Possible. The Impossible Made Possible. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1. Uh, the cool thing is, is that if you're going to start the Bible reading plan with us, which we encourage you to do, um, is that uh, we will be studying this today. And then later on, maybe before bed tonight, uh, crack out your Bible and open it up and, and you can read the story of what we've even studied today. You know, from the very beginning of the Bible, it's very clear that God is in the business of making the impossible possible. It's simply what he does. If you take a survey of the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, uh, God continually, time and time again, does what in our perspective would be the impossible. And this really, this phrase making the impossible possible is all what Christmas is really about. You see, it was impossible for us to make our way to him. And so he came to us. It was impossible for you and I to live a sinless life. So he lived one for us. It was impossible for us to save ourselves. And so he saved us us. And so this idea of making the impossible possible is exactly what we're going to be looking at today in the scripture that we're going to be reading. Now on Wednesday, if you were there with us, we went through Matthew chapter 1. And I mentioned to you that Matthew looks at Jesus's conception and birth from the perspective of his earthly father, Joseph. Well, today, rather than looking at through it through the lenses of Joseph, uh, Luke records the gospel, uh, his gospel, and specifically the Christmas story through the lens and perspective of Mary. And so really, the passage of scripture that hopefully you have written down and that you can see on the screen that we're about to read is a conversation between the angel Gabriel and Mary. And I would think most of us have at least heard this read, maybe read it ourselves, but it is incredible when you slow down and realize that Mary 
had an angel appear to her. Now, I think we've read it so many times that it's like, oh yeah, like the angel came to her, talked to her. She knew what was going on. Then she had Jesus. An angel appeared to her. Okay, this is not something that like regularly happens. It's not like, oh, and she like went to the store the next week. No, no. Now, when we look at the Bible, sometimes it can be like, oh yeah, it seems like a pretty normal thing that angels appear to people. Now we think that because we know the stories, but I don't know if you know, but this book contains about 6,000 years of world history. And if you were to take all the appearances of an angel and sparse it out over the thousands of years that this book covers within history, angel appearances don't happen that often. And so sometimes within the repetition of us knowing a story, it can lose its impact, right? And so today, as we dive into this, I want you to put yourselves in the shoes, or I guess more appropriately, the sandals of Mary, all right? I want you to put yourself in her perspective. And one of the ways that you can do that is realizing that most likely, from our best estimation of what we know of the current culture, of the time, of Christ, of what we know of Jewish tradition and history, that Mary would have been between the ages of 13 and 16. Did you guys hear me? Meaning that, that Mary was not like 26 and she's like, you know, older. There is a high possibility that Mary was right around some of your ages, I want that to sink in, okay? Not only does she have an angel appear to her, but she has a baby. Now for us, it's like, oh my gosh, a 14-year-old with a baby, right? It, it's preposterous to us. Uh, it's, it's something that in our current climate of culture, that's something abnormal. Well, back then, as soon as girls were becoming women and boys were becoming men, that they did not waste any time. And... So I want you to think about that literally for some of you girls, you could have been in her position, okay? And it's when, when you begin to not just hear the story out of repetition, but you begin to actually think and allow God to speak through his word, there is no story written like the one that we're about to read, all right? So we're going to get into this, uh, but let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you and Lord, we, we don't know why you love us the way you do, the way you want to use us the way you do. Lord, that's something that I don't think we'll ever fully comprehend. Lord, but by faith, Lord, we accept the love that you've given us. Lord, we want it. We desire it. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to know you. And Lord, we know that our love for you is only because of your love for us. And Lord, as we get into this story, this, this conversation, this interaction, this communication between an angel named Gabriel and this girl named Mary, that the weight of what was taking place 2,000 years ago would hit us like never before. And Lord, that we would not just walk out of this room with saying, wow, or that's a nice story. Lord, but that as Mary would, would watch this baby be born and experience that. 
Lord, as she would raise this baby Jesus and see him and care for him, and that she would then be witnessing Jesus dying on the cross for the entire world, including herself. Lord, that she then would receive you as her personal Lord and Savior. She would receive her son as Savior. Lord, I pray that no student would walk out of this room without having a real encounter with you. Lord, that they would have you, this, this baby who became a man who was God incarnate. Lord, that you would be their Lord. You would be their Savior. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right. So we're just kind of kind of dive into this, all right? And like I mentioned, we're just looking at the conversation, really not of Jesus' birth. We're looking at kind of some of those events leading up. Really, what we're studying today is the conception of Jesus, right? That means pre-birth, like the Holy Spirit forming Jesus in the womb. And we're looking at the conversation to lead up to that point. And so we're kind of going to be going back and forth. We're looking at how Gabriel appears to her. We're looking at how Mary reacts. Then we're going to see how Gabriel responds to her. And then finally, we're going to look at how Mary responds to all this stuff taking place. And so we're kind of going to go back and forth and look at what was said. And let's dive in. First, we're going to be looking at within our passage, Gabriel's divine message. Okay, And this is the longest chunk uh, that he appears to her and begins to speak to her. All right. And so we're going to read it and then we'll talk about it. You guys have your Bibles open? All right, look with me in chapter one, starting in verse 26. The Bible says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So this is Gabriel's divine message to Mary. Now notice that we started about halfway through chapter 1, starting at verse 26. If you were to go back, which if you're going to be a part of the reading plan, then you will do later on today. If you were to go back and read the first part, Luke doesn't start with the pregnancy of Mary, but rather the pregnancy of Mary's relative named Elizabeth. We see that before Gabriel visits Mary with his divine message that six months earlier, he appears to a man named Zacharias, the husband of Elizabeth. We know from scripture that this woman named Elizabeth was a relative of Mary. Our best guess is that they were cousins. And this angel appears to Zacharias. And at this time, Zacharias and Elizabeth are old. 
and they have never been able to have ch- children. Uh, Elizabeth was what we reference her as barren. They've had no kids, they're old, and an angel, specifically Gabriel, pierced them, telling them that they are going to have a son. And that their son is not going to be a normal man, but is going to be a prophet of God to make way for the Messiah of God. This would be none other than John the Baptist. And so we know from scripture that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. Did you know that? Relatives. Uh, They most likely were, our best guess is that they would be something along the lines of second cousins. And that John the Baptist would be born six months earlier. And why is this important for anything we're talking about today? We'll look at verse 26 of what we just read. Opening up here, the verse references a timeline. Notice there, it says now in the sixth month. The sixth month of what? Well, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Meaning now John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb and he's been growing and moving around and doing his thing. And now six months later, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, uh, the much younger uh, Mary. And as he does that, we we get some some details here. Notice there in verse 26 that the angel Gabriel was sent by God. That word is the word dispatched. He was intentionally sent on mission to speak with a woman named Mary. Mary. And notice the location that is given. It says it's in the region of Galilee in a city called Nazareth. Now, this city of Nazareth that we know Jesus as, right? Jesus of Nazareth. He would be referred to that. Even future followers in the book of Acts would be, uh, would be referenced as uh, Nazarenes or those who would follow Jesus because of where he was from. But Nazareth didn't have the best reputation. Being from Nazareth wouldn't be a a boast. It wouldn't be something that you would brag about. Even in John chapter 1, in an interaction with Nathaniel and Philip, uh, when uh, the Messiah, Jesus, is now an adult, uh, this is what Nathaniel said about hearing that he was from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It, It was a place that was poor. It was a place that was looked down upon, yet it would be this very city that God would send the angel Gabriel to find a woman, a young woman named Mary. He didn't send him to Jerusalem. He didn't send him to to a high city, but rather Nazareth. And we're given the details. Notice, look in your Bibles and look at verse 27. We're told that this this, uh, Mary is a virgin who is betrothed to a man named Joseph. We're told that both of them, Mary and Joseph, come from the lineage of David, which will be very important later on. It was intentional. It wasn't random that Mary was picked. It was planned in advance. And remember, on Wednesday, we talked about betrothal. All right, it's a word that we're not familiar with. And it's a, it's, it, it would describe something in between engagement and marriage. Meaning if two people were betrothed, it, it is that they were more than engaged, but less than married. It was a legal commitment, but they were not yet living together. It was a cultural uh, tradition that I believe the Jews still hold to this day. And so they were certainly committed to one another, but they had not yet gone on their honeymoon and certainly not been living together. 
And so it is in this setting that we see the divine message given. Look there in your Bibles in verse 28. We see this entrance, and it was certainly an entrance. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Don't know what that looked like. Don't know what that was like. But we know from other passages of scripture that oftentimes when people encountered angels, it wasn't a little chubby, fat, you know, uh, thing, cherub uh, with, uh, you know, um, bow and arrow and little wings that can barely keep it flying. Uh, Usually it was a terrifying experience. Many people would get on their face because it was uh, of the grandeur and the awe of it. Uh, Here, it doesn't seem that Mary uh, got on her face, though. What we're about to look at is she was, she was troubled by what was happening. It was, it was quite wild. But notice, notice the entrance that Gabriel pierced her, and, and, and he, he doesn't get right into it, but he, he just says rejoice. That's the first thing he says, rejoice. And he says, you are highly favored of God. He says, the Lord is with you. And he says that you are blessed among women. That it seems like almost Gabriel's like so excited. He's like, I got some good news for you. You're a blessed lady. You don't even know it. I'm about to tell you, you're a blessed lady. You're favored from God. God has chosen you out of all of eternity. And I'm here to deliver the message. And of course, I mean, imagine, right? We're talking Mary's 13, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in that range. Imagine ladies, you at home doing homework and boom, angel, okay? And appears to you. And he's not just like, hi. He's not just standing there. He's like, rejoice. He's like super excited for you. He's like, you're blessed. He's like, you're favored by God. I'm here for a message for you. I mean, what, what is your reaction? Think about what would be in your mind. You would bo- be both kind of freaked out because there's an angel in your room. Uh, you'd also be thinking, okay, wait, why am I like so favored of God? Why, why did God send an angel to me? There, there must have been maybe even a thought of, of unworthiness. And the Bible says here that she was troubled. She was kind of perplexed, right? She was confused. Okay, what's, what's happening? And, and the Bible tells us that she was considering what kind of manner of greeting this was. Meaning that there's some kind of internal debate going on in her. She's like, is this a good thing? Sounds like a good thing. He said, rejoice. But what, right in, the, in that moment, the Bible describes for us that there is this internal debate happening, a deep thought. And so, of course, you know, angels are no dummies. And so Gabriel can tell that she's uh, a little bit freaking out, a little bit troubled by this, confused. And so he, he gives her some reassurance. Look there in your own Bibles. Look at verse 30. Verse 30, he says, do not be afraid, Mary. He, he repeats himself. He says, you have found favor with God. And this is a phrase that's not the first time we've seen it in the Bible. The fact that a man or a woman found favor with God. We can think all the way back to Noah. The Bible describes that Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so he was chosen to do that. Abraham found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God chose him. And we see Mary was someone that God has chose for this work. We no doubt she's from the line of David, so it matches up. According to scripture, it was to be a virgin. It was to be someone who uh, had not yet had 
any kind of uh, anything with any other man. And so we see that, that she was a candidate in that way. But as we get to know Mary through the scriptures, it's clear that she was a woman of faith. She was a woman who loved the Lord. And so God had chosen her. And so Gabriel kind of reassures her. He's like, hey, don't freak out. Uh, here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen. And he kind of lets her know uh, the, the process of what's going to take place. Look at verse 31 in your Bibles. He, he, he gives her three things. He says, all right, this is what's going to happen. You're going to become pregnant. Uh, it's going to be a boy. And I already have a name. We already have it. You don't even have to worry about the name. We already got it covered, right? His name will be Jesus. Uh, you know, you don't have to download one of those apps to like, you know, formulate a bunch of names. Uh, and we have his name covered. This is what's going to take place. Pregnant boy name. All right. Uh, but he doesn't stop there because it wouldn't, I mean, it would have been like, okay, like, okay, I'm having a boy. But the significance is talked about here in, in those next couple verses, right? It's talked about where he begins to go on to tell who this Jesus will be. Because I don't know if you know, but Jesus at the time was a very common name. It was the name, right? Yeshua, or what we know even as Joshua, all the same names. And this was a, even Joshua, right? That's a common name. Uh, back then it was a common name. And so, okay, the boy named Jesus, now, it has very biblical meaning, right? The name Jesus means God is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Um, but it would have been a common name. And so if he left it at that, it wouldn't have been that big deal. But in, the, in those next two verses, in verse 32 and 33, he tells her that this Jesus is going to be great. This Jesus is going to be called the son of the highest, meaning that, hey, he's not just going to be your son, Mary. He's going to be the son of the most high God, which is an Old Testament phrase for describing that God is higher than any other being, right? That you're going to be son of the highest, that this Jesus, who she wasn't even pregnant with yet, uh, would rule on the throne of David, and Jesus's reign will never end. Now, we've heard this before. But what would have been going on in the mind of Mary is some connections. She would have been beginning to connect some dots because the type of phrases that are being used, he's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the highest. He's going to sit on the throne of David and his reign will have no end. That would have been enough to connect the dots. And Mary, no doubt in her Jewish mind, in her being raised in the Old Testament scriptures, it would have been beginning to dawn on her the responsibility that would have been handed to her. That this man this boy, Jesus, this baby that was going to be formed in her womb, that she was going to raise, was not just going to be a great man, a great prophet, but she would begin to connect the dot that this would be God himself. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. I wonder if this very passage was in the mind of Mary. She knew the scriptures. She would have been taught. She would have been familiar 
And maybe this one was something that she had in her mind. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Sounds familiar. Upon the throne of David. Sounds familiar. And over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I wonder what kind of connections were being made. And so let's, let's look at her reaction, all right? I don't know what your reaction would have been. Let's look at Mary's reasonable reaction. It's just one verse. Look in your Bibles and look at verse 34. It says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. A pretty reasonable reaction. Okay, I'm I'm hearing what you're saying, Gabriel, uh, but how? Because I don't know if you know, but I don't know, I've never known a man. And not that she's never met a man, she's never known a man, if you know what I'm I'm saying, okay? She's, She's known plenty of men but she did not know a man, okay? You guys get it? Do I have to go further? Okay, okay, gotcha. Just, just wanna make sure, just wanna make sure. How, right, the question of how. What is, how does this work? All right, Gabriel, I'm gonna be pregnant. How, how, how does this work? Because I don't know if you know, but I ain't married yet. Joseph and I, Joseph and I have not had our honeymoon yet. You see, this is a lot to take in. I mean, think about it. Put yourself in her shoes. Not only do you have an angel appearing to you, not only do you have him telling you that you're going to be pregnant, and not only do you have him telling you that the boy that you're going to have is going to rule for all of eternity. And this is is a, a lot to take in. And so I think this is a pretty reasonable question. If you go back and read that story of Elizabeth and Zacharias, uh, Zacharias uh, has an, a similar encounter with Gabriel, but his response is similar. He says, how can this be since I'm old? But his came out of unbelief. And so his actual punishment was angel Gabriel muted him until the baby was born. And so for like nine months, Zacharias couldn't speak at all. Uh, and um, man, I bet his wife was happy about that, but that's a whole nother story. But for Mary, she asks how, but the angel Gabriel doesn't react angry. He doesn't react in a way of, of hey, you're going to be mute until the baby's born. And so that tells us that this question was not out of unbelief, but just like, re- like reason. Like, what's the logic behind this? How is this going to work? Mary was certainly focused on the physical. And often we can have questions of how, Right? We've all had them. We've, we've read a promise of God. We've read his word. We've heard something that he has said. And our question is, okay, I, I understand what's being said. Mary understood what was being said, but how it was going to work, that's a different question. And sometimes we can find ourselves in a, in a place where we have the question of how. We look at God and we say, How? We look at the physical surroundings, we look at the situation, and we say, those things don't match up. How is it going to go from point A to point B? I just love, though, that Gabriel's response to her, which we'll look at in a moment. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get angry. 
and for us, I believe that you can ask the question of how out of faith. I mean, you, you can ask, it's okay to ask God. Now, does that mean he's going to give you all the details? He might give you some. For Mary, she's going to get some. But I think sometimes in our minds, we think that if we ever ask God the question of how, that it's a lack of faith. Now, we're going to see at the end Mary's ultimate response. If her ultimate response would be like, I'm not doing anything until you give me all the details. Okay, then that's a different question. But that regardless of what kind of additional information she got, we're going to see that her response was that of humility. Warren Rearsby puts it like this. I think he says it best when he says she believed the promise. So she believed what the angel was saying, but she did not understand the performance. Right? Okay, get the promise, but how is this actually going to come to a conclusion? All right? And so we not only see the divine message, the reaction, but we see Gabriel's thorough explanation, all right? He doesn't just say, uh, you'll find out, see you later. He didn't say, peace out, deuces, I'll catch you later. No, he says some descriptions. He, he says some details. He, he gives her a, a, a little bit. And we see this in verses 35, 36, and 37. You guys still have your Bibles open? Yes? All right, look there. It says, and the angel, Gabriel, answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Awesome. And so Gabriel gives her a little something. And essentially what Gabriel seeks to communicate to Mary is you're not going to have to do a thing. That is not going to be according to your ability, but it is going to be according to the power of God. Notice the two phrases that he uses there in verse 35. She asks how, and he begins to say, it's going to be by the Holy Spirit coming upon you. That's a reference uh, to the power of God. We see in the Old Testament at certain times, the Holy Spirit would uh, rest upon someone and it would strengthen them to do something that they could not do on their own, right? We see that in the book of Judges. When the Spirit of the Lord descended on Samson and then gave him his strength, right? Or when we see the Spirit of God descend upon David to be a man of war, whatever it might be, that without the Spirit of God, they could not do what they were about to do. And so we see that it is by the power of the highest, he says, it will overshadow you. So what's going on here? Gabriel is moving Mary from the physical limits that she lives in into the spiritual power that God has. I'm gonna say that again. Listen close, all right? Gabriel moves Mary from the physical limits that she lives in to the spiritual power that he has. That in her mind, there was only one way to get pregnant. That was, that was the boundary in her mind. And God says, it's not gonna be anything you do. Did Mary have to do anything? I mean, yeah, she had to give birth, right? 
But did she have to do anything for that baby to be in her? No, she did nothing. God says, I will take care of it all. So what's being talked about here? It is the fact that she would become pregnant supernaturally. It would be his power, not her ability. And that the Holy Spirit himself would produce a physical baby in Mary who would be the Holy One. Meaning that when he says there uh, in those verses that, that the baby would be the Holy One who will be called the Son of God, in Scripture, the Holy One is only ever in reference to God himself. It, the reality of this would begin to set in to her mind. But we see this term that Gabriel uses, it, it, that the Holy Spirit, the power of the highest, will overshadow you. I want you to note this down. It's a very dynamic word that means to cover as with a cloud. It means to envelop and surround entirely and fully. And it is always, in Scripture, reference to the presence of God. And one of the, the best understandings that we have is with the tabernacle and the temple of God. So before Jesus came, he now, right, is, was the presence of God. Before that, God's physical presence was in something referred to as the Shekinah glory of God. Everyone say Shekinah. Shekinah. Obviously not an English word, but it describes the, that God's physical spirit presence, right? We see this in the tabernacle. Notice Exodus 40, 35. It says, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What was it? It was the presence of God that no man could enter that tent. Or when the temple was erected by Solomon himself, that the glory of the Lord filled the temple that the priests had to run out because it was too thick to be in there. Now, I don't know what all that is like. But what's being referenced here and the type of verbiage that is used is for our understanding and learning. Have you guys ever heard of something called the Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies was a place located in the very center of the temple. And it was a place that no man or woman would dare to go other than the high priest once a year. This was where the presence of God was resided. And what is being spoken about here and the, the type of verbiage that is used is that in the very womb of Mary herself would be the holy of holies, that it would be the glory of God that would do this in her. This is good for us to note. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but it would be by my spirit, says the Lord. And this is a connection point for you and I as believers. You see, what God does in us, it's not according to our own ability. It is according to his power that rests upon us. And for Mary, this was the very fulfillment of a prophecy that was made hundreds of years before. You know, I mentioned to you Isaiah chapter 9, the classic Christmas verse that we probably have on shirts and 
Christmas signs and your mom has on mugs and ornaments. Well, another one of those is Isaiah 7, 14. I wonder if in the mind of Mary, this verse came to mind. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel or God with us. She was the one that God chose to be the vessel for this prophetic scripture. And so we see that this was the sign, right? It was a virgin birth. Because if Mary wasn't a virgin, this wouldn't be anything too special, right? But a sign is something like, hey, look for this. You're going to know when this takes place. This was talked about hundreds of years in advance. And so uh, just a couple quick notes, and then we'll, we'll look at the final uh, response of Mary. But notice that uh, even Gabriel tells her about Elizabeth. So they live far enough away. Um, Mary was not aware that Elizabeth, her older relative, was now pregnant, never been able to have kids. But Gabriel says, hey, I visited her, and uh, even she's going to have a baby, and she's already six months in, and, and kind of no doubt an encouragement to Mary of like, oh man, okay, this is, this is, this is happening. And then in verse 37, the last thing that's recorded from Gabriel here, notice, it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And this is the key verse for today, all right? If there's no other verses you looked at, you want to underline this verse, circle it. It is what ties everything in in this whole chapter. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Gabriel, with straight truth, speaking to Mary, God makes the impossible possible. There is nothing impossible when it comes to God. And there might be something that we've heard before, but it needs to get past our minds and into our hearts. This is something that Jesus, when he would be grown as an adult, would tell his disciples in Matthew 19, 26, that with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You see, this is the realm that God loves to work in. He loves to do what is impossible and do the impossible in us. That's what he does. And it wasn't just in the gospel of Luke, but do you remember Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis, right? They were old too. They were like a hundred years old and God promised them a son. And so it comes time when there is the angel of the Lord that appears to Abraham and they're having a conversation and the angel of the Lord is like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. Okay, it's, it's time. Uh, God is going to visit your wife, Sarah, and she's going to have a son. And Sarah is behind the tent listening. And the Bible describes that she laughs. She's like, <laughs> like I'm like 90 years old. I'm not going to have a baby, right? And this was the response from the Lord. Genesis 18, verse 13 and 14 says, And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is? Yes. There's an obvious answer. And the obvious answer is that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. You know, people, I don't know if you know this, but people really trip up at the fact of the virgin birth. 
It's something that they just can't get past. There's other miracles in the Bible that they, that they it's, just, it's just hard for them and certain theologians and so-called scholars and theologians, they, they begin to justify, oh, she wasn't really a virgin. It was, you know, once then Joseph got together and, uh, or, or they, they look at the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah and, and Jews that maybe don't believe in, in who Jesus is and uh, was they'll say, oh, it's, it's not translated version. It's, it's young maiden. And the problem is, is that they have in their mind that God can't do it. But if you can read Genesis chapter one and believe it, then you'll have no, no problem believing anything else the Bible has to say. And for Mary, she believed what Gabriel was saying. And so let's finally look at Mary's humble response in our last verse together, verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's a very humble response. She says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. She's referencing herself. That term maidservant is the lowest female servant. The idea of maidservant is that, is that she is saying, I, I will, I, I'm at your service. I will do what the Lord is saying. But she's saying it in a way that's not regretful. But she says, let it be to me. She says, let it come to pass. She says, if the Lord is in this, then I am in too. Then I'm in too. And it's been said before that she lets his will become her will. I mean, that, did she look for this? Did she go out looking for the, the angel Gabriel? She's like, all right, when is he coming? Was she ready? No. But when she heard the word from the Lord through the angel Gabriel, she said, let it be to me according to your word. The whole idea is that she is saying, I'm at your service. It's kind of like, you know, Jarvis in the Marvel movies, the Iron Man, right? What does he say? I'm at your service, sir, right? The main thing, at your service, sir, right? That's what he says when he wakes up. And uh, anyway, when Iron Man speaks to him, hey, Jarvis, are you there? At your service, sir. You see, that is to be our heart. That is to be the motto in our, in our minds as it was Mary's. And so she was not only willing, but wanting whatever the Lord wanted to do. If you were here Wednesday, do you remember when we talked about some of the repercussions that Joseph might have faced, right? Ridicule, shame. Uh, they would have been able to do the math and realize that uh, Jesus was conceived before they were married. Wouldn't look so good. Well, for Mary, the repercussions were even greater. And so her phrase, let it be to me according to your word, it wasn't just an easy thing to go through. But what that meant for her was no doubt shame, ridicule. What would Joseph uh, do? What would he think? What would her friends and family and parents think? And what kind of mockery and slander would come her way? And even worse than that, what type of punishment could she face uh, such as even death? Yet she said, let it be to me according to your word. <clears throat> as we bring this thing to a close, it's amazing to me to think that Mary, right, birthed Jesus, 
wasn't easy. Just because he was a son of God didn't make the birth easy. Okay, she still had to suffer the, the pain and uh, the difficulty. She raised him. She cared for him. She saw him grow. And she also saw him on that cross. She was there when he died. Did you know that? She was there. She saw him. And she saw the, the suffering that he went through, the torture. And like I said in my opening prayer, uh, Mary would go on to receive her own son as her savior. Isn't that amazing? Now the question, Mary did, we see Mary's response. The question is, what, what's your response? Is the, is the Christmas story, right, the, the story that we, we know and like? Or is it representative of our very salvation? Let's pray and then we'll, we'll worship. God, we come before you and... <clears throat> God, this, this story is better than anything Hollywood can ever come up with. This is something that we know that you had planned before the foundation of the world, that you had planned this before you had created Adam and Eve. It was not plan B. It was not um, something that was a last-ditch effort. Lord, that you knew. You knew that we would need a Savior. We would need a Redeemer, and it would have to be someone like us. It would have to be a human who could live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we should have died. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you've sent Jesus, Lord, that you have redeemed us, saved us. Lord, we thank you that that baby didn't stay a baby, but grew and became a man. And Lord, we thank you that that man became our mediator, our advocate between the Father. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that we don't come to you except through him. And so, Lord, this week as we get to have some time off and reflect, and we just pray that, Lord, that our lives would be worthy of the life that Jesus gave for us, that our lives would be worthy of the gospel. And so, Lord, we, we worship you as, as Mary would go on and she would eventually go and visit Zacharias and Elizabeth and be all excited about them both having babies, very different ages, that it, it would be in that moment that she would sing a song to you. She would say, my soul magnifies the Lord. She would call you her savior. She would call that, that baby who would be in her womb her savior. And Lord, we want to declare that today before you, that you are our savior, that you are our God, and that we magnify your name. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.